Welcome everyone to Living the Jesus Way, Living Faith in Real Time. Hi there, Dave Qualls with you and today's episode would like to help you with conversation with Jehovah Witnesses about the deity of Jesus Christ and the Trinity. I mean, how many times have you prepared ahead of time for a discussion with Jehovah's Witnesses? I have recently with them back out now coming to our subdivision. And how many times have you prepared ahead of time for certain key Bible verses only to get bogged down arguing with them over John 1.1? I've been there and done that. Or John 10.30 and other passages in which Jesus is called God. And like my experience, they respond, we do believe Jesus is a God. They say Isaiah 9.6 calls him a mighty God. But then they add, he is not the almighty God. Then you hear that men are sometimes called gods, John 10, 34. And God made Moses to be a God to Pharaoh, Exodus 7, verse 1. And so when the encounter is over, you feel so frustrated as my Tennessee Vols that I love dearly feel after losing to Alabama college football. To avoid this problem, we must learn to compellingly communicate the biblical truth of the deity of Jesus and the Trinity to the mind that has been trained in watchtower theology. There is a way around the natural walls that watchtower indoctrination places in the minds of Jehovah Witnesses. This is one way we can be instruments in the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's jump to it. Let me help you with how we can be effective. You know, many witnesses feel that no one outside of their own circles thinks anything about Jehovah God, but then they are surprised to encounter uh, moi and other Christians who know the name Jehovah and use the name in hymns and psalms. And so you can agree with the witnesses that Jehovah is God. And that statement opens the door to the witness concerning the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. See, witnesses argue that the term God, Lord G, can be used of men and angels. And so when used of Jesus, it does not prove his deity. They cannot consistently use that tactic, tactic excuse me, against the overwhelming evidence, though, that is in the New Testament, where Jesus Christ is identified as Jehovah God. You see, the witnesses must logically recognize that if Jesus is Jehovah, then all of their arguments about lesser gods, lower G, are irrelevant. Jehovah is the only true God. And if the Bible says Jesus is Jehovah, case closed. We can engage the thinking process of the witnesses to bring them to the realization of this truth. See, once the identity of Jesus as, Jeho Jesus as Jehovah is established, then the passage passages that call him God become meaningful and understandable to witnesses. So how do we prove our case? I have often moved into this topic through a brief explanation of the Trinity. You see, most witnesses do not have an accurate knowledge of the Trinity. And I might sadly add, neither do many Christians. If I am asked why I believe in the Trinity, I normally respond this way. I believe in the Trinity because the Bible teaches the doctrine. It does so not by using specific the word Trinity, because you can't find that in the scriptures, 
but by teaching the three pillars that make up the doctrine of the Trinity. First, there is the only one true God, Jehovah, creator of all things. Surely you agree with me there, I say. Next, that there are three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I realize you do not believe the Holy Spirit is a person, but you do agree that the Father and the Son are not the same person, right? And then I say, finally, the third pillar, the point on which we are in direct disagreement, is the Bible's teaching of the full equality of these divine persons. This would include the deity of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, it is important to short-circuit the natural tendency of witnesses to misunderstand you. We're not asserting that there are three persons that are one person. No, nor are we that there are three beings that are one being. What we want to do is we are differentiating between the terms being and person. That's very important with Jehovah Witnesses. See, the Bible teaches that all things have being, but only God and humans and angels are personal. I, as a human being, am one person, Dave Qualls. My being makes me human. My person or personality differentiates me from all other human beings. <laughs> Glory to God. Since my being is finite and limited, only one person can properly subsist in it, namely me. But since God's being is infinite and unlimited, it can be and is shared by three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And once I've differentiated between being in person with a Jehovah's Witness, I then ask if I can illustrate this from Scripture. And since Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Trinity is a false doctrine derived from Greek philosophy, they often are willing to open the Bible, I have found confident that you won't be able to support your position. And so I say to them, you and I both agree that the only true God is Jehovah. I believe the term Jehovah refers to the very divine being, the eternal God who created all things. You would agree with me that the Father is Jehovah, would you not? Where we disagree is this. I believe the Bible says that Jesus Christ is Jehovah and the Spirit is also Jehovah. Each of the three persons share the one divine name, Jehovah. May I show you one of the places where the Bible teaches us that Jesus is Jehovah? At this point, most witnesses are open to you doing this. They've never encountered someone with this kind of approach. Kind of catches them off guard. Now make sure your friend has understood your meaning is very important at this point. You may need to clarify your position a few times even before proceeding. I can recall one time when I had to clarify my position about four times before we could proceed beyond this point. So be patient. God's in control. There is no one verse with which you should always begin. For me, I personally favor using Hebrews 1. In any case, make sure you're thoroughly familiar, not just with the verses themselves, but with the surrounding context. You don't want your demonstration short-circuited by your own lack of knowledge of the text. And so using the witness's own translation, which is very important, use their translation, the New World Translation, the NWT. 
I note with them some of the important verses in passing in Hebrews, such as Hebrews 1 verse 3, where it speaks of Christ as the exact representation of his nature. And then I follow the context down and take them down through verse 8, which begins, but with reference to the Son, I ask, now, who is, he being, who is being discussed all through this passage? Well, the answer is plainly the Son. The citation that begins in verse 8 finishes in verse 9, following which is the New World Translation says, and you at the beginning, O Lord, laid the foundations of the earth itself, and the heavens are, are the works of your hands. By its use of quotation marks in the text, I emphasize the quotation part. The New World Translation clearly indicates that we're dealing here with a citation of the Old Testament. And so I finish reading through verse 12 and immediately ask, now, who is being described here? The only possible answer is the Son. The witnesses may say something about how Jesus as the first creation of Jehovah was the one through whom all the rest of creation was made. At this point, I allow the witnesses to say whatever he or she wishes, as long as we agree on the fact that Hebrews 1 verses 10 through 12 is still making reference to the Son. Let me pause and read those verses with you at this point. Verse 10 says this, Hebrews chapter 1, it says, And in the beginning, Adonai, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They shall pass away, but you remain, and they will all wear out like clothing, and like a robe you will roll them up, and like clothing they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years shall never end. And so I read through that verse, 12, and then I ask if my friend knows what the passage the writer to Hebrews is quoting here. The passage that's being cited in Hebrews chapter 1, 10 through 12, according to the cross-references found in their, their New World Translation editions, is Psalm 102, 25 through 27. And so it is very important that you get to Psalm 102 quickly to provide the proper context, because they're going to stay with you. Invite the witnesses to begin at verse 1 of Psalm 102 and to identify the individual being addressed in the passage. The New World Translation begins this way, O Jehovah, do hear my prayer. Then skip down to verse 12 and show that, that Jehovah remains the subject of the psalm. Point out that Jehovah continues to appear even in verses 19 and 20. This is important because once you get to verse 25, the significance of the words will be manifest. For Jehovah is addressed in the very same words that the writer to the Hebrews uses of the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, it's vital that you make it clear that there's no reason to think that anyone other than Jehovah is being addressed by the psalmist in Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. You have shown the first of many passages in which the New Testament writers take an Old Testament passage originally about Jehovah himself and apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage is exceptionally strong 
for the psalmist is speaking of the immutability, the eternal nature and creative power of Jehovah God. Yet the writer to the Hebrews is willing to predicate all these things of Jesus Christ. So what's the advantage of this method? You know, don't expect witnesses to give in the first time you show this passage. That's been my experience. Most will beat a hasty retreat for the door and try to find someone who can answer all these questions, especially when they are paired with uh, a young guy or a girl. When you show a witness a divine truth from the passages of his own, pages of his own New World Translation, that truth follows him wherever he goes. See, that's the beauty of this method. He's not going to throw his Bible out. So whenever he opens it up, the next time he's at a door uh, seeking to witness to someone and he counters these passages, the Spirit of God will remind him of what he cannot answer. Witnesses won't take literature from you. Believe me, I've tried. So turn their Bibles into tracks that will go with them when they walk out your door. I'm going to pause at this point and just remind us of a couple things as you seek to have this communication with Jehovah Witnesses. First off, the pronunciation Jehovah, while important to witnesses, is really not the proper pronunciation. The Hebrew tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, was probably pronounced Yahweh. A good Bible dictionary will furnish the meaning and background of the term. That information is both enriching and useful when it comes to witnessing. And then I just want to remind you, don't get bogged down. Press toward demonstrating that Jesus is Jehovah. Listen, if you get into a discussion of New World Translation passages specifically designed to hide the deity of Christ, Hebrews 1.6, Hebrews 1.8, you will never get around to what you're trying to accomplish. Third, should the witnesses attempt to say otherwise, note that the, their New World Translation begins verse 8 in the same way it begins verse 10, with a colon followed by a quotation. Verse 8 is about the Son. Verse 10 continues the citation of passages about the Son from the Old Testament. Even the New World Translation gives no indication of any kind of break between verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews chapter 1. The close reader will recognize an inconsistency in the New World Translation at this point. See, it inserts the name Jehovah in the New Testament 237 times, even though the term appears in no Greek New Testament manuscripts at all. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, or the LXX, used the Greek term Lord, Kurios, for the Hebrew Tetragrammaton. The New Testament writers, when citing Old Testament passages in which the name Jehovah appeared, likewise used the term Kurios, or Lord. The Watchtower reasons that when citing the Old Testament and in many other instances, the name Jehovah should be retained. Hence, when they translate Hebrews 2 verse 13, which contains a citation of Isaiah 8 18, they insert the name Jehovah in the translation. But they also often insert the name when there's no direct Old Testament reference at all. For example, in Revelation 1 8. 
and most importantly for our use of Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, in other passages, they changed the Greek kurios to Jehovah in citations of the Old Testament that are about Jehovah, even if the name does not appear in the specifically cited text. Here's a question. Why didn't the New World translators, their Bible, remain consistent and rendered the Greek term kurios as Jehovah in Hebrews 1.10? In my mind, there's only one reason, and one reason only. It would make the passage teach a doctrine that is contrary to Watchtower theology. Hence, their Bible translation is determined by their beliefs, not by the text, as we so believe. I hope that this has been helpful to you in your next encounter with Jehovah Witnesses at the door. And I might encourage you to not turn them away, but give the opportunity for them to respond to a, a sit-down discussion with you. Uh, if you offer to give them 20 minutes and ask them if, you, if they give you 20 minutes to give you 20 minutes, I have found, not always, but occasionally, I have found them open to that, that opens the door for you to have a conversation with them using Hebrews chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 in regards to a conversation about Jesus is God and the Trinity. Blessings to you. Thank you again for joining this episode. Hope to see you again real soon.